Welcome to episode 629 of the PS Nation podcast. My name is Dave Hunt. I'm one of your hosts. I am the sole host for this brief part of this podcast. Michael is recovering from E3. I'm still recovering from E3. And like we did last year, we are doing our interview um, episode for this week. So not a normal podcast, partially just because we've been playing everything you guys have heard on the feed for all the previous weeks for E3. Um, and then we have a whole bunch of interviews that we're going to give for you guys. So starting off, we're going to have interviews for The Division 2. Then we're going to have an interview for Earth Knight, Darksiders Genesis, Fall Guys, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, Journey to the Savage Planet, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, Lost Worlds Beyond the Page, Sniper Ghost Warrior Contracts, Manifold Garden, and finally, Watch Dogs Legions. So please, as always, feedback is appreciated. Let me know. Let us know if you guys like how we do this. We did it last year. It seemed to go over pretty well. If you don't like it, let us know. If you do like it, let us know. All the other fun jazz, subscribe, review, share the, uh, share the podcast on social media. Thank you guys so much for all your support during E3. It was very helpful. Thank you for watching the live streams. Thank you for commenting on Twitter. Thank you for asking questions on Facebook. All of it. We appreciate it. So now we're going to start jumping into the interviews, and that's the last time you're going to hear from me directly other than through the interviews. Hope everyone has a great week. All right. All right, we are at the Ubisoft booth for E3 2019, and um, I have an interview with Division 2. Go ahead and introduce yourself, please. I'm Terry Spear. Creative director at Red Storm Entertainment on the Division Two. <laughs> so, what does that entail? Like, what exactly is your job? Uh, let's just say, as a creative director, I'm a, a holder of the vision, right? The, that could be complicated. A holder of the vision for the division, right? Because it's it's a huge game, mm-hmm. right? When we have a lot of studios, so it's important that there are a few of us that make sure we all stay on the same track, going the same direction. So. Uh, there's often this uh, idea that creative directors are idea guys, you know, and that's all we do. But in fact, that is part of the position, but it's also helping make some of the hard decisions uh, about the overall direction. So that's what we do. All right. Um, at the press conference, you guys announced the rest of the year one content that comes with the, the episodes or the year one season episodes. pass. Yeah, or? no, episodes, totally yeah. what it is. So can you elaborate a little bit more on those? I know you guys, you briefly touched on them during the press conference, like we're going back to the Pentagon for like episode two? Yeah, yeah. that comes in episode two, yeah. So, so I guess episode one's what's coming first, so what's that's July, right? That is in July, yeah. What does that entail? So you've got uh, two missions, uh, one to Camp White Oak, right, and that's where we're hunting down the traitor I, I talked about, um, and then you've got the second one, which is the National Zoo. And that's your chasing down the surviving outcast leader who avoided capture or elimination when you took out her stronghold. So those are the two missions. And then you've got the, the new experience, and that's the expedition. Okay. The expedition is a, a new piece of narrative. It's the, you know, there's a, a convoy that did not, hasn't communicated. It's gone dark. And so we essentially have... Um, a central hub, and then off that hub you have three wings that will open up uh, at different times. And each one of these wings uh, will tell some of the story, but you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we do some. Le- there's a lot less hand-holding, uh, and you have to figure out the mystery of that wing uh, and, un- and essentially solve the uh, the challenges in there. And then once you do all three, then you know you figure out what happened to the convoy. 
does with uh, the episodic updates? Does this, does this add any weapons or gears to the game, new gear sets or anything to the game at all? Like, and are we getting more loot? Over the course of the entire year, there'll absolutely be more exotic weapons, uh, more exotic gear, and, and, and other things added. Where they specifically drop and how they're being distributed over the course of the year, no comment on that yet. But there's more coming. And then any increase to the gear score over this time frame? Nope. No. Everything's going to stay right around 500? Yeah, we... I mean, you sound like you're tapped in, so we, we talked about, you know, gear score, you know, raising or power creep over 500 uh, for different activities, but we... We went away from that because we realized that's a very that's a huge thing. Uh, we didn't want to make a decision like that lightly. So I think we did try it on the PTS, uh, and that was a part of the decision why we pulled back and said any change to gear score or you know max power level, we're going to make sure it's at the right time and we're going to do it the right way because huge time investment. So yeah, I think it works for players that take a break for a little while and they don't want to come back because of the how much of a time sink it would be to, to re-level. Exactly. So, yeah. um, and then, like as the the rest of the content continues, you guys talked about another eight-player raid. Um, and also, can can you elaborate on your thoughts on the first raid, like and how that how you think that went over? Yeah. I know there was a lot of issues. Like I'm a console player. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me so, too, baby. <laughs> um, but I think our console precision needs to be a little bit more precise right now. Sure, sure. Uh, we, I, we, very happy with the first raid. You know, we'd never done one. Mm-hmm. We had never constructed a raid in the original game. We had incursions, so there was a worry. You know. Uh, both internally and externally like is this just going to be like uh, an incursion that they just call a raid right Mm -hmm. so the team worked extraordinarily hard uh, to craft what we considered a raid in a Tom Clancy title Mm -hmm. and (laughs) man that day the the, the release day was like how long is it going to take right because that's a, a big that's a big thing when you have the best players in the world they know your game inside and out they're inc- you know incredibly talented players how fast are they going to burn through this content five hours right was a, a big success for us and you know we understand that there's a, a hardware gap between PC and console that's you know absolutely understandable um, the fact that we're starting to see more console players complete it and you know it's interesting to Maybe just to, to say, like, we do all of our testing with controllers in our hands, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, we have, we experience everything that the console players maybe think we don't right. experience. Like, we do all of our testing on PC. No, that's no, not the case. The game. You know how to beat it. It's fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> everything we do is with sticks in our hands. So when our internal testing teams submit times, you know, completion times and whatnot, it's always on a console so we knew it was going to be difficult and we knew the PC players were going to do it faster just because of the you know the precision that goes along with the PC um, and we're very comfortable with with where it is um, as far as you know difficulty and whatnot. Uh, moving forward to the next one like oh man <laughs> like going to you know this foundry Right, um, engaging in the the true sons. Mm-hmm. Hope we can say that true sons. Mm-hmm. I, he'll tell you if we can. Right? <laughs> no, that, that's fine. Okay, um, and we don't want to use the same mechanics mm-hmm. that we used in the first raid because then you know what's the point? So that challenge of picking up where we where we left off and providing a new experience 
that's just as difficult, you know, um, finding ways to, yeah, sure, uh, blend those completion times. Let's try and let's try and bring the the, the gap a little bit, you know. I mean, I can't promise anything because it's you know we're we're still tuning all that stuff, but uh, I am I, I can't wait. I love I love the raid. Mm-hmm. I, I still haven't finished it, <laughs> to be honest. And then what about with the adding of the episodic content? Like, how does that work into, like, the endgame loop of, like, invaded missions and working on, you know, challenging missions and things like that? Or is this stuff going to be incorporated into that? Or is it just kind of set it off to its side on its own independent island? Meaning, will we stop? Uh, Not necessarily stop, but is this going to be in addition to? Or is it going to be, like, a separate branch? Like, is, is the, the going to the strongholds and things like that, are they going to turn into invaded missions at all? Are they going to turn into, like, are they going to have different levels on them? Oh, I see. I see. If I'm understanding you correctly, um, I can't give you specifics on what's going to happen with those, but we've enjoyed, uh, and the community, I believe, has enjoyed just how we've layered on to the content, so I, I think it's a plan we'll continue to follow. And then what, I, I'm more or less curious myself, like, what have you guys learned from other live service games, like, similar like Destiny and Anthem and things like that, or what has it taught you or to do, or maybe what not to do? Do you pay attention to them? Uh, I mean, as a gamer, I'm a, of course, you know, you, being able to experience live games absolutely influences how you make your own live game for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we have learned is we have to stay engaged, right? I, I think there's this really interesting loop where... In the old days, you put out a game, and it was just, you put out a game, and you were done. Cool, great. And you move on to the next game. Mm-hmm. But live games, like you said, are much different. And if you take the mentality of, oh, you put out a game, let's start working on all the next content, and you're not paying attention to what's happening in your live game, then your live game dies. And then there's no one to play your content. So, over the course of the original game, and what we've continued on with this game is, community and game health is number one priority. So stay on it and make new content but at the same time we have to continue to make sure that the health um, of the foundation remains priority number one so that's the biggest lesson is make sure it stays good is there a concern with like balance at all I know that like I'm not even really talking about dark zone balance but in terms of like when you guys watch other players play, if you consistently see the same loadout, is that something that, like, if you're seeing the same weapons used or data showing that a certain archetype is consistently being used much higher than others, does that factor into your balancing decisions at all, what people are using and maybe what they're not using? Absolutely. Analytically, we pay attention to all that, and um, it's, uh, you know, it's because it's live, right, because the game is an RPG and it's so complicated, it's one of the first things we look at. What's the community saying? Okay, now what are they actually doing? Let's look at the data. Why is this below this value? Okay, we need to you know raise this up. How come no one's using this skill? Is it a mechanical thing? Players don't know how to do it. Is it useless? X, Y, Z. So um, analytics is incredibly valuable. And um, I wouldn't say more trustworthy than the words of the people, but when you combine the two of them, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... There's no doubt about it right now that DPS is king, mm-hmm. right, in the Division 2. So, okay. Is that a concern for you guys at all? Is that something you want to try to, or are you okay with being a primarily a DPS game? Uh, concern, I think, is a too strong of a word. It's, okay. it's a note. Okay. Right? okay, so 
we know that as DPS is an important element, and you can't argue that, right? right? You have high DPS, you kill things faster than they kill you, great! And so, but that means other things fall behind. Okay, great. DPS is fantastic, it's fun. We need to do something for this over here. So, concern, no. Opportunity for, you know, to improve, yes. All right, well, thank you very much. What? <laughs> that was, it's because he left, right? That, that, that's uh, it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we could, there's a lot more I could probably get into, but it's know. up to you. <laughs> it, is, um, it is definitely I mean, up to you. So, the goal for the rest of the year, though, like how the episodic content is going to work and, and the loop, like in terms of like continuing to engage the players, like how do you feel like the episode the episodes are going to do this? Or I know that you, I'm sure you guys will have other like apparel events. Is there a concern of the gameplay loop, or not necessarily a concern? Because I know you say that's like a little bit too strong of a word sometimes, but um, the, the continuous loop and how the content and the goal for the rest of the year. Uh, I absolutely think it's going to succeed at that. Uh, kind of the, one of the really important aspects of all the content over the course of this year is making sure that there's something new to dig into for everyone. And so we really worked hard to, okay, we've got the new narrative missions, new exploration, new gameplay mechanics, raid, you know, so giving something for everyone to where if they had stepped away, you know, oh yeah, cool, I beat the game or whatever. Oh, it's free. Would you like to play that? Come re-engage on top of all the other things that come with our normal title updates, you know, gear improvements, gear additions, and all that stuff. So we just talked about the Highline points. Of course, there's all kinds of other little things that go into the title updates that will still be there. You mentioned apparel events, things like that. Absolutely, all that stuff's still coming. Is there can and is there pressure or you know like stress around maybe trying to do like a seasonal style content like some other like a ninety day change? I know the episodes are kind of sounding like they're going to be around that time frame, but I mean, are you guys like purposely staying away from seasons and like just calling them episodes for just that's how you guys are wording them? Or? Yeah, I mean, personally as a developer, I haven't felt any of that pressure. Really, it's just all right. You know, there's a, a grouping of content we want to release that caters to, you know, this specific type of gameplay. Uh, I think, I'm sure, someone just picked that word, episode. <laughs> and then, um, specializ- uh, specializations. You guys introduced a new one just recently. Yeah, the Gunner. Yep. Yeah. and then, um, is there, like, a tiered plan for when more are coming? There is a plan, absolutely. <laughs> I, I can't, uh, I don't think there's been any clearance to talk about no, any no. of that plan, but there absolutely is... A plan because the one the, fir- the 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 fourth one kind of just sort of kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and then you know I, I thought that it would just kind of be usually with the episodes, mm-hmm. like, but I mean it just shows that you can continuously uh, stay engaged with the with the players with the game. Yeah, we always want to make sure players can leave happy. That way, when we introduce new content, they can come back and re-engage in that content and can and be happy for as long as they want to stay and play. Okay. And lastly, like what about the Pentagon? Like what can you tell me about going to the Pentagon? I think uh, some of the secrets that we'll put out for the Pentagon, some of the tools and equipment that players will get to use will be a lot of fun. I don't think there's any more mysterious building in the entire world. I mean, people talk about Area 51 or whatever, do the Pentagon. So the opportunity to go down there, fight the Black Tusks, and uncover and explore some of that mystery, I think will be a highlight for a lot of people. I really do. Um, and otherwise, I'll spoil it if I say anything else. Um, and then, have you guys dated episode one yet? I just I think you guys said July, right? We just said July. Yeah, okay. And that'll just kind of come in the form of like a title update? Um, I don't know what the form is for that. 
Um, uh, well, I would say just stay tuned for that. Okay. Yeah. Alright, All right. well I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. I'm here at the IndieCade booth talking with the creator of Earth Knight. If you would introduce yourself, please. Yeah, my name is Rich Siegel. I'm the head of Cleaversoft and the lead dev on Earth Knight. How would you describe Earth Knight? Some of our listeners might remember me talking about Earth Knight at PSX previous, or the last PSX. Yeah. Uh, but how would you describe it for those that might not be familiar with it? Earth Knight is an epic 2D platformer. A love letter to classic arcade games and Sonic and Mario. It is a illustrated dragon apocalypse. Uh, can you tell us a little about the art style and uh, maybe the artist? For sure. So everything in Earth Knight, everything on the screen, every frame of every character, every 3D texture, every 2D set piece is painted by one guy. His name's Paul Davy. His internet tag is Matahan, M-A-T-T-A-H-A-N. And he is unbelievable. The art style and universe of Earth Knight all sprang from his head. He's got this... Um, wacky style of putting like normal looking people in these very fantastical weird settings with lots of creatures and the whole like universe of Earth Knight is just like inspired by his paintings and his art style. And to go along with the art style we have like a really nice chip tune soundtrack. Can you tell us a little bit about the music and also the musician behind it? Of course yeah Chippocrit. Um, actually this is the last time you saw it so it used to be chip tunes um, with just a Game Boy mm-hmm. right but now the entire soundtrack is Game Boy a program by Chippecrit, and then a full band uh, where he plays guitar and bass and drums over it and like some synths. Uh, the soundtrack is going to drop in a few weeks with a release date trailer. Um, and it's amazing. You can get it on Bandcamp. I encourage everybody to check out Chippecrit. I think he's a master composer. You said a release date. It's coming soon. Uh, it's been quite a journey uh, to get to this point where we're really close. Just let's just talk a little bit about like that dev cycle. How long you've been working on the game, and just like this, the evolution of the studio. Yeah, um, I guess when we started, it was three of us, and now we're like a core four. And there's been so many part-time contributors over the years, but it's been a long journey. We started in February of 2012. And I think after about a year and a half, we started showing it publicly for the first time, ended up scrapping like everything we had built to kind of like make something that could go at scale of like the idea of what we were trying to build. And then in 2014 was when we signed to launch on Sony and you know, started doing bigger events and caught, you know, the, the eye of someone like you. And it, it was part time, though, for um, almost all of us for the first five years. And then at the end of 2016, I sold my other company, which I had been running full time. And for the past two years, two years and a few months, we've been working full time. And as of a few weeks ago, we finished. We're in submission with Sony right now. I'm hoping on the next few weeks we'll have a release date trailer out and we're going to put out the soundtrack. And we're coming out on PS4, Mac, and PC on Steam this summer. The game is gorgeous, and you've added so much depth to it over the years. At what point did you finally feel comfortable that you were done adding to it? Uh, we entered, you know, like, must-ship mode about seven or eight months ago, but I really didn't have to... Uh, we... Spoilers. There is a secret world in Earth Knight. And at some point along development, we were like, are we going to have to cut that? And we really pushed, and so I... I I don't think that I've compromised in the original vision of like how much secret content you know we wanted in the game. I think actually we ended up striking a really nice balance. 
Um, but uh, just due to time and money, you know, in, in the past in the past year, it's been about you know polishing to the point of okay, it's done, it's completed, it all works. There's no bugs. Um, but obviously, over the course of seven years, we have had the opportunity to hide you know a lot of different things out there um but my big shift that has come recently and i I think it's cool to talk about this um i personally am like a hardcore gamer who really likes hard games um spelunky was a big inspiration for earth knight it's very challenging um 50 of people never get out of the first world of spelunky i mean for years that would be me yeah um and it's still considered one of the best games of all time right Um, yeah for sure which is kind of nuts um but you know, for, for a lot of my dev cycle, I was trying to make a more accessible Spelunky um, that, you know, kind of anybody could play. But it was still always very challenging. And it's still challenging. Earth Knight is still an epic challenge. For you to get down to the Earth and beat the Earth Knight Dragon, you will feel accomplished, you know, if you make it. But I've shifted from, and this is, you know, it's only been about a year, uh, which is a long time, but a short time in a seven-year dev cycle, to not making the game for me anymore. I'm making it for everyone. You know, I that there is enough depth and crazy shit at the end of the game. You can beat the game and unlock hard mode, and there's all this weird, wacky, wild stuff to find out there. Um, so for hardcore gamers, that still exists. But I wanted to make the on-ramp easier, you know, and that, that beginning experience more accessible to anybody. And so I think we've hopefully opened up our window to a whole new realm of gamers who can enjoy this type of game for the first time. Yeah. And you didn't, like, you made sure to have accessibility for the game, but you didn't sacrifice depth for that. There is, like, a depth to the game. Uh, Can you explain a little bit of, because, like, when people look at the trailer, they might just see, like, the running uh, and just put it in a, you know, put it in a box. Uh, But can you explain a little bit of the depth to the game? Because there's layers to this uh, whole thing. Yeah, for sure. It's funny, it's like, it can seem deceptively simple, but then when you start playing, you realize, oh my god, like, it's actually very complicated, there's a lot going on here. I think we have recently crossed a threshold where people, and maybe it's because the industry has changed and like what people, and runners aren't like a big thing the way they were whatever many years ago, but I think we've officially crossed out of like, you can't really put us in like the standard runner box anymore. It's too beautiful, there's too much going on. Um, there's over 40 like gameplay altering power-ups, all of which you're going to unlock slowly over time and learn to utilize. Um, Earth Knight's a bit of like an open world in that you choose your path down to Earth every time. You could decide to skydive past dragons, or if you're trying to collect certain pieces or parts to upgrade things, you could you know purposely head straight to what you're looking for. Um, and I mean, the, the biggest thing you know in comparison to all these these other runners is that there's like this openness to Earth Knight. Um, you have a lot more control than you initially think you do. And it, the the layouts of these levels are so big and go so vertical that it's just a very different experience from like any runner that anybody's played on mobile or has existed before. And I think it's now like immediately apparent. I mean, your hard work and passion has shown. I've seen it over the years and I'm, I'm happy that you guys are getting to that point where it's ready, you know, it's inserts. So just, you know, your hard work hasn't gone unnoticed. It's definitely something that I've been paying attention to, and I'm happy that you guys are getting ready to release. And Mike, that's so nice. It's amazing. Everyone who, you know, appreciates Earth Night, it means so much. Um, I'm hoping we're going to blow your mind with a new trailer, and especially the release day trailer. It's going to be really sick. And the soundtrack's going to be on sale soon. You can love. And I, I truly think 
And it's a really nice way to feel. And I didn't know if I was going to feel this way. But that anybody who has seen Earth Night over the years, like, kind of thought, like, oh, maybe that looks cool or, like, has been interested in it, is not going to be disappointed with the final product. You're going to be, your expectation is going to be exceeded. Cool. I will look forward to that announcement in a couple weeks. Yeah. And we'll get our hands on it, hopefully, uh, soon after hearing about the release date. Yeah, so. you got it. All right. Thanks so much. We are here uh, at the THQ Nordic booth, and um, I just got to see a presentation for Darksiders Genesis. Um, the first thing I'd like to have you guys do, if you can introduce yourselves. Yeah, my name is Ryan Stefanelli, the President and Game Director at Airship on Darksiders. Uh, Joe Matarera, I'm the CEO and Creative Director. Okay. Um, the first thing that we want to get out of the way, because even myself and Michael, my co-host, thought the same thing. So this is not like a looter, top-down Diablo game, right? Right. Uh, it's its own. It's a prequel to the Darksiders story. It's a prequel, and in terms of the, Joe can speak to the story, but in terms of the gameplay, it is an isometric Darksiders experience. So the pillars of Darksiders one: combat, exploration, puzzle solving. It's all those presented with a different uh, camera angle and in co-op. And then, uh, can you kind of give us an idea of the? the synopsis of the story? Yeah, so in, in this game, uh, it predates the first Darksiders, actually. This is uh, during the, the time where uh, the Nephilim are wiped out uh, on Eden, uh, which is referenced in the second game. Uh, Death actually carries their souls away after that. <clears throat> and so they haven't been horsemen for very long at this point, uh, and they kind of disband after that event. And then uh, War and Strife are called back by the Chard Council to uh, figure out like wh what Lucifer's planning for humans after that. Because when, when Eden's destroyed, humanity was given a new world, which is Earth. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, and so uh, Lucifer's already up to no good. And so it's uh, War and Strife's job to, to find out what he's up to. Okay, so why Strife and why now? Um, well, I mean, Strife hadn't been featured yet, and, uh, you know, who knows when he's going to get his own game. We were like, it would be awesome for us to do it. Um, and he's probably the most different from War, uh, so we thought having a brand new guy and bringing back, like, an old favorite, you know, the, the first one. Uh, would be really fun and, and you know having like a swordsman and a gunslinger together like those roles are really fun to switch back and forth from so it just made sense yeah, we just wanted to do Thrive yeah. we knew because we, we knew we couldn't do all four together Short version. and we couldn't do one of the mainline big budget games because we're a smaller team which probably is what Strife deserves if and when he gets his own standalone game so we go okay if we're going to do two horsemen well we just want to do Strife so let's do them and it happened to work really well with the gameplay so I mean the thing that I like the most that I saw today about it is the the for the solo player the ability to switch on, on the fly between the characters mm -hmm. and then it does support online co-op for you and a buddy Definitely, yeah. That is, I think, going to be the best way to experience the game will be online co-op. Yeah, because you get your full screen. Split screen's cool because you're sitting next to the to the person you want to talk trash to. But it, in terms of the gameplay, it's going to be a lot of fun online. Yeah, and then it's a vertical split screen, not a vertical. horizontal. Okay. Right. Um, can you speak to some of the gameplay mechanics and like how it functions and, and moves? Yeah. So, like you said, in single player, you can swap between the horsemen um, instantly. 
a lot of the mechanics, the gameplay mechanics that were present in Dark Shadows 1, if people played it, will be familiar, which means there is some traversal. That's not just combat. There is some traversal, so you get to interact with the world. There is some puzzle solving that's driven by the items that you're acquiring while you're playing. Each horseman has two unique gear items. Um, only they get to use it. So in single player, you have to swap between the horsemen while you're solving puzzles. And in, in multiplayer, you have to work together to solve them. Uh, in terms of the progression, like the, how they get more powerful, it's similar to, to the system from Darksiders 1 in that you find health and wrath cores that increase both of those pools respectively. You use souls to buy stuff off vendors that might be new combos for war or, or changes to uh, the behavior of, of Strife's gunplay. And then a new system is the system of creature cores. Each creature will drop, has a chance to drop a unique core that has some uh, essence of that creature imbued in it. And each horseman has a core tree, which is like a skill tree, but you slot the cores as you work your way up. So you can kind of mix and match those cores um, to customize how each horseman plays, what his strengths are. Um, in some cases, it changes, it might change the way a wrath move behaves. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to collect those, and you can go back and replay, because it is level-based, you can go back and replay those levels at higher difficulty. If you do that, you're going to get more creature cores, you're going to be looking for secrets, because you have new gear items now. So uh, even though the framework is a little different, it's isometric, it's level-based, like the essence of Darksiders, which is adventure, driven by the acquisition of new items, it's all there. Yeah, and it's really cool, like the farmability of the bosses, and then also reasons to go help your buddy that might be behind you or something. Yeah, and that was another reason we did the, the cores the way we did, because you can collect more of the same core to level it up. So if you've already, if I beat a level, but you haven't yet, we're going to go into your save game. I'm going to bring my version of the horseman into your game and any cores I collect, I get to keep. So I'm still leveling some part you, of my character. you don't give the player when he comes down there either, right? He has nope. all his power-ups and right. his skills and his abilities. That's right. And the, and the actual curve is relatively flat. It's not exponential like it was in Darksiders 1, where you start with 100 health and by the end you have thousands. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's more, it's it's a little flatter. So you are still at, you know, you're still at risk going back to one of the beginning levels, even if you're a late game guy. So the skill tree is more like a light skill tree system to it. Like it's not gonna like make you just like be able to walk through a wall or anything like that right. in the first level. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it's gonna be additional choice. You know what I mean? Like so you'll you'll be more powerful through the strategy of choice. You do get more powerful. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're if you've beat level 17 and you're going back with your friend in level three, you're gonna help him walk through the level. And then the, the explorability and going off the beaten path, like uh, like we've all used to in all the Dark Siders. I saw like the chests and breaking through the chest and all the little little caveats to players that have been playing this franchise for a long time are there. But it looks like a really good possible entry point to a to a new player that maybe he hasn't even played one, two, or three. Yeah, it's some of that stuff. Some of those elements distilled down into a simpler gameplay format, but absolutely still driven by the new items. You you don't get your final your final uh, piece of gear until I think it's level twelve or so. Um, maybe level nine forget anyway then you can Farther go back down. yeah then you can go back in and uh, start replaying some of those levels and, and accessing areas you couldn't without that item find the abyssal armor pieces yeah, I think that was a question yeah, yeah abyssal armor and then something just a little bit from the business standpoint like what did THQ's acquisition of your IP like obviously I think a lot of people thought after two and, and the things that happened before, like it was it was gone, mm -hmm. and then a little bit of a resurrection. Like, what has that meant for you? I guess uh, it's been awesome, you know. Just seeing uh, any anything that uh, you create that you know sort of takes on a life of its own and continues to you know produce sequels and things like that. Whether we do it or not, it's uh, you know Gunfire did the third one and we were excited for that. Uh, and now we get the chance to do this one. It's it's really cool. Like I think we we would love to always uh, be involved, you know. Uh, yeah. 
Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. My name's Joe Walsh. I'm the lead game designer on Fall Guys. What would be like the, the elevator pitch for this game? Because I, I see a lot of game show elements. So us, for, for us, the elevator pitch is it's the greatest game show the world has ever seen. It's up to 100 real players all getting into a lobby together, and then we're serving, from the, serving them through round after round after round of elimination games inspired by Takeshi's Castle, Total Wipeout, the kind of Saturday morning game shows we all used to love as kids. Love as kids. Uh, no, no game has ever made us feel like we were part of one of those game shows and we really wanted to create that experience. So we're talking about a massive game. We're talking about 100 people, online-only experience. What have been like some of the challenges for trying to think of a game modes for 100 people to play? Yeah, it's definitely... The, so the two big challenges, I think, at this point, the first one is a lot of games have done large-scale 100-player multiplayer. A lot of games have done small-scale physics-based multiplayer, but not a lot of games have tried to combine those two things together. So it's been a big challenge to get the game to a point where everything plays nicely, all of the physics are synced and everything like that. That's definitely been the first big challenge. We don't really feel like anyone's ever done that before. So we're super happy that we're, we're showing it today and that it's, it's working nicely. Um, the second thing is trying to prototype out ideas because the thing is that you never really know how something is going to play until you get 80 to 100 people in the studio in London playing it together. Some of the things we think are going to be amazing are terrible. Some of the things we think are terrible end up being amazing. Um, but it's just we just got to keep on prototyping, keep coming up with our ideas. We want to launch with at least 30 when the game comes out. So we've got a lot of work to do. How fun has it been developing ideas and testing them out. It seems like that would be just throwing everything you can at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, exactly. We basically have a spreadsheet in the studio that anybody can add, the office manager, you know, designers, artists, anybody who wants to can, can put ideas in. We then like sit down and we review them. Anything that's like an eight out of 10 or above, we decide we're gonna prototype and then we just keep doing that over and over again. Uh, it's also the same with the character design. Uh, we want these characters to build floppy, ragdoll. They should be funny to watch at all times. We spend a lot of time like pretending to push each other over in the studio, recording weird roles and falls and things like that. It's a, it's a blast to work on this game, it really is. Well, I, do, I just got done playing the game and that last round, the, the mountain round, is pretty intense. Wasn't expecting it to be as intense as, as it was, as you can hear from the, the, the shouting that's happening here. What's the structure for a match? How many rounds are you guys looking at? Because uh, there can only be one winner. So. so I think we're talking at the moment, we want um, a match to last about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and that's going to vary on how many rounds it comprises but sometimes we don't know how many people are going to get eliminated but I'd say a good ballpark is about five or six different rounds you know we want them to be about three minutes long super fast knockout kind of kind of things yeah 100 players you guys are launching on PS4 and Steam any idea of crossplay or is that kind of out of your hands right now yeah uh, we would love to do crossplay it's all changing it seems like at the moment you never know what everybody's saying uh, we would love to do it but we got nothing official uh, at the moment but, yeah customization seems like that's going to be a huge part of the game is it earning stuff just through winning matches placing in certain areas or microtransactions uh, so right now we're, we're really focusing on earning currency from doing well you don't necessarily have to win to earn currency but the better you do the more gold you get and that all fills up super super quick uh, yeah and you can do anything you want to 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 your character, we want you to be doing paint jobs, sprays, football mascot style costumes, all of those things. So we want to really, really push the customization as far as we can. 
I, I'm, I had a blast playing the game. Uh, there's AI in this build, obviously, because you can't get 100 people in the room, but it's going to be purely online-focused uh, just to keep people in the servers, correct? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about this as a fully online game. We want to get real people playing. That's where the fun, that's where the chaos comes from. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can't wait to get it in people's hands. Uh, last question. Uh, tar uh, target release date? Uh, we're saying early 2020 at this point. Okay, all right. Uh, thank you very much. Great. Thanks very much. All right, so we are here at E3 2019 again in the Ubisoft booth with um, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I keep wanting to say Wildlands sometimes, but Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Can you introduce yourself for me, please? My name is uh, Noureddin Aboud, and I'm the executive producer of uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Okay. Um, so tell me the main difference between uh, why you went the direction with Breakpoint versus Wildlands. So what we achieved with Wildlands was to add the open-world layer to... Our goal, which is to always create the best spec-up experience in a video game. We were successful with the open world, the tactics, etc. But we believe that we were not strong enough on the character side. You couldn't feel as much being in the boots of a spec-up. And that, that was our goal with Breakpoint. And by focusing on the survival aspect, we can make you not just experience the tactics, but feel it. Feel the pain of the injuries, feel the impact of the terrain on the slopes feel the, the prone camo where you're inside the mud and trying to hide, etc. So really, the biggest difference is bringing the survival aspect and increasing the feel of being in the boots of a spec op. And it feels like the mission structure is a little bit more linear than it was in Wildlands, like a little bit more directive and you're in a smaller enclosed area with some of the Wildlands missions could be far-fetched. Are we going to see missions like where you're tra traversing over large areas in Breakpoint? Yes, in fact... Um, we believe that Breakpoint brings even more freedom than uh, Wildlands. Wildlands, our goal was to experiment the freedom, but we're still testing some of the mechanics. So we came up with something very open, very free, but where we believe that the, there could be a little bit more variety. So we took, we kept the, kept the freedom. On one, some of the elements seem a little bit more linear, like you, you said, but what you don't see in a shorter session like that is all the character building. Mm -hmm. And with all the extra options we add, um, you can upgrade your gear, your weapons, the vehicles, you have the perks, you have uh, the buffs. Mm -hmm. All those options mean that you can go into this open world and have your own little missions, your own little goals that are in the end going to give you as much freedom if not most than on the pre more than in the previous mm -hmm. one but the way we achieve this freedom is as you say by a better mix of more let's say limited areas and more open ones but in terms of the size of the map the, the map is actually bigger because just the islands are as big as Bolivia and if you add the water it's even bigger oh that's crazy and yeah so it's <laughs> And then the, um, I, I don't remember what they called them, but like kind of like the the campfire area where you're there. The bivouac. The bivouac. Um, explain that a little bit. It looked like you can choose what time of day you, yeah. you, you attack. You can choose um, certain buffs. Like So if you're in a group of four, like somebody can have a firearm buff and somebody can have yeah. a, a stamina buff. Like What was the thought process behind that? So like everything we did, we analyzed what we achieved with the previous one and how we could push even further. And we believe that we needed moments where you can bond with the others, with the, the other players. So first, by having a moment where you can stop, 
prepare your next strategy, decide for both, it's important. And also, one of the feedback we had was we can't control the time in the game. So by giving you the possibility of falling asleep for a longer or shorter time, we're also adding more control. Mm -hmm. So it's really a mix of the military fantasy, bivouac being a, a term which is used in English okay. for this by the military, mm -hmm. even if it's coming from the French, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, uh, something that makes sense for the gameplay. And then um, the the fight against the wolves, like even with Wildlands, like this, like it was. I felt like it personally, it was more about the, the the cooperative and working as a group with the mission. But there's a direct story, like you're going against a former ghost. Yeah. So here the idea was, if you want to create this feeling of survival, what can, how can you create it? And we had the feeling that we added it in the features. We also needed to give it inside the story, and so that you feel that you're really in a difficult situation. And what bested me or worsened me, depends how you look at it, than people who are as strong as you, who are trained like you, and who end up betraying you. And so it serves as a gameplay purpose. They have all the skills you have, all the technology you have, but also as a story purpose with this, those brotherly arms. Mm -hmm. And on top of this, there is the idea of working with John Bernfall uh, as mm -hmm. the actor, right. which you played as a friend in Wildlands, and then it's, he's your nemesis in this one. Yeah, um, and then the game is coming out in October, right? Yes, October 4th. And then you guys have actually talked about a little bit more of like similar to how you treated Wildlands and how some of the Ubisoft games have been treated. Like You guys are going to have a little bit of an endgame content in this as well, right? Yes, so uh, one, to show that we are dedicated to Ghost Recon, we can prove it by what we did with Wildlands. Mm -hmm. uh, we had n already 19 title updates and content, etc. So yes, we, we've said that we'll have as, as long as much push in the future. We also know that, for instance, we're going to have the Terminator coming inside the game, like with the Predator in the previous one. It fits so well with the drones and everything too. <laughs> exactly, and it's also, you know, it's what we did with the Predator, we listen to the community. Yeah. And the good news with forums, you can just listen to what is said, and mm -hmm. as soon as we announced uh, Breakpoint, mm -hmm. we had some people who said, oh, wow, wow, cool, and so we got it. So yes, we're going to update the game, but update in terms of long-term support, update with the storytelling, and also because the game has the PvP at launch, Everything you do goes for the same progression, solo, co-op, and PvP. And so, yes, we're going to keep updating and be alive also on the PvP side. Yeah, and our, I know you guys mentioned it after your reveal a couple months ago. Are, like, are raids still a thing yes, that you want to do? Yes, the, the raids are uh, actually ready and will be available at launch with the first raid. How many players is that activity? Uh, it, we, we stay in the, at this stage, I can't go into details of it, but okay. it's around the, the, the game that we have, which is for co player co-op based. Okay, awesome. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. My name is Alex Hutchinson, I'm the creative director of Journey to the Savage Planet. Uh, the first game from Typhoon Studios, uh, it's a bright colorful, optimistic, first-person, open-world uh, adventure game where you're sent to an alien planet by the fourth-best interstellar space exploration company called Kindred Aerospace. Uh, and they've asked you to catalog everything on the world using your scanner and camera to decide whether this is a, a suitable home for the future of humanity. Um, and you can gather all kinds of other quests along the way as you lift every rock and explore every cave on the, the crazy world. Um, but most especially, you'll get drawn into a mystery, which is there's a tower 
tower at the base of this valley um, that you see very early on. And there wasn't meant to be any intelligent life on the planet. But after you, you see it, you gain a second quest, which is to get to the bottom of that mystery and find who made it, um, where they've gone, and what's the purpose of the tower. Humor seems to be very important mm-hmm. uh, for this game. I was told about the pedigree of where some of the people came mm-hmm. from. You came from uh, Ubisoft, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then I heard like Arkham developers yep. and mm-hmm. was going for a humorous, not super dark or serious thing, like a prime objective for the studio. Yeah, it really was. I think you know the kind of game you make if you make it for a long time, it starts to bleed into the culture of the place. Uh, and it was already hard enough to build a new studio, hire a bunch of people, and you know, and, and make a new IP from scratch. So uh, it was it was important for us to have some fun doing it. And we thought, you know, if we could embed some of the sense of humor of the staff on the team into the game, um, it would really sort of differentiate it from the other other games out there. So the experience uh, you're scanning around, uh, like discovering new things about mm-hmm. this planet, like how large of an area or how large of a planet are we looking at for this? Yeah, as you could tell, it's a pretty unusually shaped planet. So uh, it's, it's it's by no means, you know, it's not a triple A game. It's not a full price game. Um, so it's a little smaller than a traditional open world game. Um, but the area you explore today, which has sort of the ice area, the caves, the sort of valley area and the cliffs, um, is about one biome, uh, the way we look at it. And there's two other major biomes you can explore. And then a fourth small one, which is the tower itself. And uh, the creatures, I'm assuming, are changing based on the biome. Because there seem to be like a fair amount of creatures just in this one. Yep, each biome has its own unique creatures, sometimes evolutions of creatures that you met, sometimes, you know, like we want to present different challenges and different areas to explore as well. Um, so there's, yeah, each, each area should have its own unique things to discover. The main objective, at least in this biome, was just refueling, upgrading your stuff. Is discovery the main uh point of the game or is it just will it be very objective based because it's we were pretty open to just do what we ever whatever yeah, we wanted no it's a very it's as open as we can make it for, for an indie title but it's uh, exploration is the is the main purpose um, so you know trying to find every sort of secret area to gather the story of the place the history of the place um, and figure out what you're going to do about it is the core so yes it's an explorer map you have a gun that you control a little bit is combat going to be important in it or is it important unless you want it to be important yeah like we, we tried for a long time not to have a gun in the game but uh, people wanted it so badly that we decided alright we'll have to put it in there if you want it but um, there's lots of interesting ways to tackle most of the problems you can use the tools in your left hand as well as the weapon um, in your right hand so uh, combat is a part of it uh, but there's usually a way to get around uh, 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 each situation or each encounter without one yeah I noticed that with the, the platforming yep. and just uh, using that the glob I yeah. believe it was called <laughs> uh, using that to attract the creatures to solve puzzles so we're looking at that sort of like puzzles maybe with multiple ways to solve them yeah exactly as much as possible some at the moment like we can try for and get a, a non-violent path through the whole game but at the moment no there's uh, uh that you will have to use violence in some some areas but we're trying our best to get it out there and make sure there's multiple ways for everything yeah. uh how long of experience are you uh, tr- uh aiming for at least yeah we're going for like sort of like 10 hours is basically the the the, the target for the project um a bit more if you try to you know like fully collect everything and find you know all the different corners in the world but yeah we want a very finishable experience that people who are pressed for time uh actually surprised by new stuff and not just you know sort of repetition and uh the, the biomes that you talked about them uh, they're vastly different just in that one biome alone it, we had ice area and then it led to like kind of a jungle area mm-hmm. uh, can we expect the biomes to have various like climates or weathers uh yeah, yeah yeah there's lots of different places like each biome has like two or three different styles within it we're trying to like you know continually surprise the player and show them all kinds of different stuff so yeah there's lots and lots of variety in the game uh, when is your target for release yep it's coming out very early 2020 on Xbox, PlayStation 4, and uh, the Epic Game Store. Show's about to end in a couple minutes, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah.
All right, we are here in the Warner Brothers booth at E3 2019, and I just saw a presentation for Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, and I have Anna here. Yep, I'm Anna Bailey, and I'm the design manager over at TT Game Studios in the UK. Awesome. Um, I guess the the thing that I took away from the most, we saw the trailer at the Microsoft press conference, and then we thought like maybe it's a remaster, but this is a full rebuild of the games, right? Yep, completely. We've um, just redoing everything completely, uh, rebuilding it brick by brick, as we said. Um, so yeah, it's completely all on new tech as well. So we really are kind of pushing our games now, definitely. Um, and then there's each, all nine movies have their own campaign to them as well as their own open world? Yep, that's correct, yeah. So um, we've got the kind of main story beats that we have for each of the films and those are kind of in bite-sized pieces and kind of retold in a completely different way from before. Um, and then you also have the different planets and stuff that you'd expect to be able to explore as well. So yeah, there's lots to do in our game, definitely. Um, and it sounds like everything's unlocked from the start, right? You, like, you boot the game up, you download it, and... It's yep. ready to go. Yep, you can go through and the numerical order if you wanted, or theatrical release, or like we said, we've got episode nine there as well. So if you want to jump in there, you're more than happy to do that. Um, character switching at freedom, correct? Maybe. Yes. Um, when you go into the story sections, though, you are locked into certain characters because obviously that syncs up with the films. But right. otherwise, um, you'll unlock more and more characters as you continue to play through the game, and then you'll be able to play as your favorite ones as you wish. Um, I haven't played a lot of LEGO games recently, mm -hmm. but it was uh, like the over-the-shoulder shooting. Is that a new thing? Yeah, completely okay. new. Yeah, it's something very different for us, and it just gives you so much more control uh, to be able to kind of play the game as you wish. And you can run around still and not have to do the over-the-shoulder shooting if you want, or you can do and get nice, accurate shots and get through it a lot quicker. Yeah, and then for the Jedis, you guys like retooled the whole force mechanics and how those work. And yeah. They showed them picking up like three or four things. And oh, yeah, it's incredible. It's really intuitive, definitely. Yeah, um, I've been playing it so much and stuff and testing it out and it just feels incredible uh, the fact you're able to just pick up objects like that and you can stack them up and complete puzzles use them in combat it's just yeah it's amazing and then can like players of the past expect all the the collectibles and the, and the studs and the unlocks and is that all there as always yeah we've got lots and lots to explore lots to collect as always that you expect from a lego game um and then um the they he emphasized a lot of like actual life size like as many bricks as it would take to really build it right yeah those guys have just been oh, they've done an absolutely incredible job the team uh, back in the uk they've been building these absolutely gigantic builds uh, that you would be able to build out of lego if you if you had the time and you wanted to do that you would be able to definitely like the barge i think i don't know if you mentioned it in there mm -hmm. took over three months to build it was so yeah Incredible. And then uh, with the open world aspect of it mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, he talked briefly about like kind of like random events against the Empire, like you might be going from point A to point B and then you'll... Yeah, so we've got a few of those there. You saw the Super Star Destroyer kind of turn up out of nowhere, nowhere in that situation. Um, but there'll be kind of different things that you can do throughout space as well, so you've got bounty hunts and things like that and different things that you might come across as well. What would you tell somebody that's already played like the first you know seven or eight of these games, like the reason to go back? It's just all completely new. Um, everything's been completely changed. Um, we've redone everything completely, so the combat's completely different. Um, the way the worlds look are completely different. The freedom is just nothing like we've ever had before. And as well, if you love Star Wars and you are a fan, this is the ultimate Star Wars experience, we think. And then you guys are shooting for 2020? 2020, yeah, that's correct. Like early, late, you know, or just 2020? 2020 at okay. the moment, yeah. All right, thank you so much. No, that's great, thank you.
I'm here at E3 2019 with the developer of Lost Words Beyond the Page. Hi, I'm Mark Backler. What is the best way to describe this game? Because it has a very unique art style. So it's an atmospheric platformer, half set in the pages of a diary, half set in a fantasy world being written about by our young protagonist, Izzy. And what is the story revolving around? And more importantly, is this game going to make me cry? Hopefully. <laughs> so it's a... Um, yeah, uh, uh, the, the main character, Izzy, is aspiring to be a writer and her gran is helping mentor her. Then when her gran uh, gets sick, Izzy is using the uh, fantasy world that she's writing about as a means of coping with what's going on in the real world. Words are obviously very important in this game. You pick up different words that you carry with you in a book. Uh, can you describe that element and how that plays a part in the platform? Yeah, so in the diary sections, you're walking on the words and then... You can find uh, different uh, different words on scraps of paper that you can use. Sometimes you use them as platforms. Sometimes you use their meaning to help you solve different puzzles. And other times you use them to make choices that will affect the fantasy world story. And then uh, when you transition inside that story, you're not walking on the words, but you are using them to interact with your environment in different ways. So you might use the word burn to burn something out of the way or the words um, repair to fix a bridge so that you can cross it. Uh, what was some of the inspiration for the game? So uh, it started off in a, a game jam, uh, and that was how the mechanic kind of came about. But then in talking uh, with the writer of the game, Rihanna Pratchett, um, we wanted it to be something that was really uh, emotionally moving and, and powerful and uh, looking at uh, loss for something that uh, you know, we, it's, it's universal to everyone really so it seemed like uh, the, the perfect topic. In the brief demo that I played, there was a, you're kind of crafting the story, like did some of the finer details of picking out the outfits and the gifts. Uh, is the player going to have a little bit of influence on where things go? So the story overall is... A, uh, a crafted linear tale that we wanted to tell but we give the player options to make some choices that affect the cosmetics of the character but also that shape some of the text and add a little bit of flavor to the story as they go. How long of an experience would you say this is? Uh, around about three hours. Is there any playability or are you just looking for a confined emotional tale? So we definitely wanted it to be, yeah, this well-curated uh, tale, but um, you know, we hope people will want to play it again to you know, choose some of the different options and, um, uh, and experience it again, much like the way you, know, you would re-watch uh, your, your favorite film or re-read a great book. Uh, and what is your uh, platforms that the game is coming to? So it'll be out on Steam, uh, PS4, uh, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Is there currently a targeted release date or release window? Yeah, uh, December. Just want to do a quick thing just to get a little background on the game. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Good luck with the rest of the show, which is going to end in about two hours. Thanks very much. Okay, we are here at E3 2019, and I just got to see a presentation for Sniper Ghost Warrior, right? Contracts. Yeah, Ghost Warrior Contracts, okay. So if I get, I've got two people with me from the team, so you guys can introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Rick Nath. I'm the art director. 
and I'm Daniel Swabinski and I'm a senior level designer. Um, go ahead and just give everyone like the you know the quick aerial view of like the goals of like what what you're trying to do with contracts. Okay, with contracts, the, the main thing that we wanted to do was take the player back to what makes sniping really good. Try to deliver the full experience. So, what we mean by that is give the player the opportunity to to scout, to do the assassination, and then to do the exfiltration as well. We focus mainly on a sandbox style structure so we've moved away from open world and that gives a lot more flexibility in terms of like being able to replay the different contracts that we have and um, play them the way that you actually want give the player full flexibility on that and then you guys talked about like upgrading stuff and like the, I saw the weapons wheel but like a lot of that is going to be based on um, side challenges within, within each individual contract and then also uh, rivals yeah, so basically how it works is like as you progress through the game and you complete uh, various objectives, you get rewarded for them and for your overall performance. Uh, so it's up to the player which uh, side contracts uh, to take on or not. Uh, they are All of them are priced uh, and... Uh, after you exfiltrate from the mission area, you will get rewarded, and then you can use that money to upgrade your character. And it's a, it's a, it's character. It's a gadget. You upgrade gadgets. You get uh, new weapons. You get new attachments. Yeah. Uh, and also upgrading the mask and the suit itself. So the yeah. the ghillie suit. Right. Yeah, the mask looks like a pretty big focal point. There was a point in the demo where you guys showed like he was in a minefield and he was able to see where other people had walked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, with well with the mask, there's various different upgrades. So the mask is um, a really good. Um, I can't say too much about it because it's also integrated within the story itself. But what I can say is, in terms of the upgrades, it gives you a greater option to free up different gadget areas as well. So being able to um, put things like thermal vision actually into the mask and some of the tagging then opens up <coughs> slots to have extra other equipment that you you could carry on to your mission. Yeah. It's good to mention just uh, about the mask. It's also good to mention about whole whole player loadout. Is yeah. that uh, a lot of the upgrades you will buy? They are uh, weighted against each other. So yeah. you cannot yeah. just upgrade everything. You have to pick the upgrades, uh, and then you, you are kind of like tailor your character to your playstyle, right? So, uh, so you can't build like a super powered sniper with like a hundred bullets. Uh, you probably can, but then you still can be super good at some things. You just cannot be super yeah. good in stealth, sniping, and, and combat, right? So okay. you have to pick your path and kind of switch on and off skills you want to have yeah. or not. Yeah, and also the ca the reward that you get, there's cash rewards, but there's also the type of token. So depending on the challenges or the side contracts you take, you're going to get different tokens for those things that you can also use for separate upgrades yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, one of the ones you showed off that I mean I haven't really played very many of the sniper games but you actually had like a, a targeting bullet or a distance bullet that you'd shoot up against like a wall and it would give you uh, help you Tag, tagging bullet tagging yeah okay. yeah so with the tagging bullet it has like a 40 meter radius and it's especially useful when you have enemies inside that you can't see so visually if you can't spot them you can't tag them mm -hmm. but the tagging bullet then suddenly exposes them yeah. so you will be able to kind of like pick out like snipers that are hidden um, and any targets that are inside somewhere as well the, the, the thing about the special bullets is that uh, the slots for the special bullets are very limited, so it's not like you can take any yeah, type of bullets. Good. You just have to pick which, whichever you want, and then they are very limited. So as you can see on the demo, we had like five tagging bullets. Mm -hmm. You can increase that number 
but then it's it's not gonna be like 20 or 30 so you have to yeah, you know be strategic when you're using yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly and then it's definitely not a like you guys even talked about it it's not a just kill the target and you're done mission like you have to scout figure it out eliminate the target and then still exit the arena right yeah, yeah. exit the whole mission uh, area actually so okay. you know it's, it's not only the base just you have to you Find have the one yeah. point don't you? the whole map is uh, basically most of the maps are one kilometer or one kilometer wide and it's like a playground for the player that has main objective uh, main contract and couple of side contracts and it's up to the player whatever order and uh, whichever of them he wants to make or not but the main contract is always mandatory so to finish uh, the mission and, and progress with the story you have to take down that main objective and then exfiltrate and then uh, you talked during the demo with a couple of different like with the contract style versus the open world style more load times came into that but then you guys also were trying i mean not necessarily load times but changing of areas and maps and then you got you had mentioned that load times were a thing that you guys have heard feedback on that they were lengthy before yeah it was it was one of the kind of like the challenges that we definitely wanted to kind of address so like straight away i mean our challenge was to up the detail but then also bring down the load time and that's something that we've been able to achieve this time around so and i think again fans of the series and um people who are new players they'll kind of like appreciate that because i think it's one of those mandatory things now yeah and then you guys had a heavy emphasis on the scope and the detail yeah. within the scope like uh, during yeah, the demo definitely. we were able to zoom in on the grenade and that's an option of a shot um like that you know would help somebody like me and then the the red dot assist yes that yeah. looked very you know for me like like the holding the breath and you know doing that stuff i'm not a patient player yeah so yeah, without yeah. patience then it's like you know like you start missing shots and then you get alerted but the, the red dot will at least get help the players, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like with the when if you're new to the series, that red dot helper is really good. Daniel can play it with that. He doesn't need it, but we're just making sure it went smooth. But I think from an artistic point of view, what always frustrated me was why we're only seeing um, the scope, which only occupies one third of the screen. Mm -hmm. A lot of real estate was lost to things like hands and the elevation and the detail around the scope. And the sniper is all about being in the scope. Mm -hmm. It's having that that precision, and that's what we're able to kind of like deliver this time around. You can see all of that detail. Awesome. You guys targeting a certain release this year, later this year. That's that's as far as. I know. <laughs> that's, all I, uh, that's all we can say. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like anybody to know about the game? Uh, I think your questions have actually really covered a lot of the stuff <laughs> yeah. that we've done. A really good set of questions, actually. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm here at E3 2019 with the developer of Manifold Garden. If you could just introduce yourself. Sure. My name is William Cheer. I am working on Manifold Garden. It's been in development for about six and a half years, but it is finally going to come out in 2019. For those uh, that are unaware uh, of what the game is, it has a very distinct art style. Can you describe what the game is and uh, the art style? Sure. It's a game that reimagines physics. So if you've seen that scene uh, in Inception where they fold pairs in half and start walking up the wall, you can do that. You can change gravity. We also have the world that has 3D screen wrap. So if you fall off, you just come back down from above. It's playing around with different physics rules and exploring how architecture and space is inside works within that. And in terms of the art style, we draw a lot of inspiration from M.C. Escher, old architectural rendering. So it's minimalist, very clean. Um, yeah, I like to think it doesn't look like anything else. 
Oh no, it is very distinct. It's, a, it's definitely when we saw it at uh, the first E3 was 2015, 2015. I think. Yeah, but yeah. I remember seeing it the first time at E3, and it's definitely one of those games that catches your eye when you come out, when you walk by the screen, and you're just like, "What's going on here?" Yeah. And we've cleaned it up a lot. The uh, lead programmer of Ori and the Blind Forest, or the lead graphics programmer Arthur, joined the team back in 2017, and he's completely revamped the. Uh, the graphics pipeline and just kind of cleaned up everything so it's sort of what we had back then but much better uh speaking of the evolution of like team adding members uh when we saw it the team was really small were you by yourself originally or you had like a very small core yeah i think i was it was just me when i started and i was alone for about two and a half three years uh currently we've got a team of 12 and we're scaling up to 17 as we get closer to launch uh and it, you, uh, you've been pretty head down lately working on the game, getting close to shipping it possibly this year? Yes, yes. We I think the last show I did was E3 2016, so three years ago. And most of since then, yeah, we just kept our head down, working way on the game. So I know there hasn't been a lot of news, but we're kind of... And I know people are wondering what's going on, but we're, uh, we just sort of wanted to wait until we had something really, really solid. We want to be like, hey, here's the launch date. So... Stay tuned, but we'll have some big news coming up. How important has uh, doing dev streams been for you, and are you still doing them currently? Yes, uh, I stream development almost daily on Twitch, uh, well, Monday through Friday, and I've been doing that for about three and a half years. Uh, I think just last week, we had some subscribers getting like the 31-month subscriber badge. So that, that's been positive. That's been amazing. You know, the hardest part about working by myself was... When you have successes, when you have failures, there's no one to share it with, right? You finally solve a bug, it's just you. When things are going bad, it's kind of just you taking all of that. But we have these people who've been watching us make the game live for about three years. They, you know, they're part of the journey now. They know what it's been like. They know what development is like. So when I launch live, you know, I think it's probably just pressing a button, but I want to do that on the stream just to like, you know, we want to have a launch party live. Yeah, share that with everyone. Yeah, well, especially uh, the game is the art style makes it fascinating to look at. But seeing it being developed in like real time when you're doing a Twitch streams is fascinating. Might as well. Uh, what is your Twitch? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's just my name, William Cheer. So William, like you spell that, and then Cheer C H Y R. And you plan to continue those streams until the finish line? Yeah, probably uh, to the finish line and beyond. I, I would highly recommend that because I remember watching them. It's fascinating to watch. So I highly recommend anyone listening to check those streams out. But how does it feel now that you know that there might be a finish line close? Yeah, so, you know, I finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. And for a long time, that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, to be honest, we're so busy getting the game out the door that I haven't really had time to reflect. But... You know, it's been a six and a half year journey. I think by the time it's all said and done, it'll be seven years. So it's a, a big chunk of my life. Uh, I think it's a mixture of excitement and feeling relieved and, you know, wondering what the fuck I just did. <laughs> well, it's been fascinating because uh, I just got caught up with uh, Earth Night, which is a game that almost started around the same time. And you guys have kind of had similar, you know, journeys of yeah. being by yourself and building out a team. Uh, how's the indie community been? I know we're both from Chicago, so we have a pretty good 
independent development community, but how has that community helped and embraced uh, your work? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the, uh, not just the Chicago indie scene, but the indie scene at large. I've gotten so much advice, mentorship over the years. The, I, I love the Chicago indie scene. I think it's a pretty small part of like, what, 50, 60, but we all know each other. Uh, some of the first people I showed the games to was the Young Horses, who made Octodad back in... I think March 2013. So yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, they've been they've been supporting me and giving me advice for yeah for the entire journey, really. Well, it's one of those things where, at least from the Chicago perspective, uh, so this might not be great for the other uh, people uh, listening that aren't from Chicago. But Manifold Garden has kind of become like a pillar. For, for Chicago development, even though it hasn't been released yet, yeah. just because it's been in the consciousness. Because you, 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 we talked a little bit before uh, we hit record about just you doing the tour right. of just taking the game to different conventions. Do you feel any pressure uh, as we get close to that? Um, well, you know, I'm I, first of all very flattered that you consider the game to be a pillar. I, you know, for me, it's like teams like Autodad or the Indie City Co-op or Trinket. They've been around and they they've provided so much support. But yeah, it's, it's cool to, you know, a lot of times I, I did a lot of shows in 2014, 2016. I was often sort of the only Chicago team that was there. So it's it's cool to sort of be the, the representative uh, for those moments. I'm And I'm happy to do so. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely see the game as sort of like a community effort. Like, I don't think I could have made it in another city. I think it's very much a Chicago-driven game. Well, we look forward to playing it uh, again. You said uh, this year is a possibility. Uh, is gonna. I'm. We're going. I don't want to say definitely because you know the way life works. But we are aiming for late 2019. Thank you for popping on, and then hopefully we'll have you on again uh, closer to to release once yeah, that time sure. comes. again at E3 2019. Um, more stuff from Ubisoft. I am just got done playing Watch Dogs Legions. Legion, sorry. And then if you could introduce yourself, please. I'm Clint Hawking, and I'm the creative director. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the direction that the series has gone from, you know, like a little bit of San Francisco and Chicago, now overseas. Sure. So, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to do when we uh, went forward with Watch Dogs Legion was, like, start thinking about Watch Dogs on a more global, uh, about dead set really on a more global scale like how is this uh, this organization that we've seen in a couple games now really going to make their movement more powerful and more more meaningful and uh, part of that was saying you know maybe we need to pick a, a more a, a, a location in a different country so that we can capture that flavor there are some storylines that deal with other dead sex cells in other parts of the world and uh, once we started thinking in particular about being able to play as anyone we really wanted to pick a city that would have we sort of known around the world for its diversity. There's over 200 languages spoken in London, you know, many, many waves of immigration into the city over centuries, and we felt that this was a really good way to capture the diversity of the people, as well as go to a, like a world-class city that like everyone, you know, wants to visit or, or explore at some point in their life. Um, the big thing that I think a lot of people have been asking me questions about is the recruit anyone, play as anyone, origin story for anyone. Yeah. Like I, I played for about a half an hour today, I saw a lot of people on the map, yep. and I know that we can 
we can tag them, we can keep an eye on them, and then can you elaborate more on that a little bit? They sure. all have their own origin story. They're all individually voice acted, sure. all of them. So, so it's complicated, right? There's a lot of technology, a lot of procedural stuff, as well as a lot of content that's going to support this. Um, there's a when you first profile a person, you're going to be able to engage with them depend uh, in a more systemic way. You're going to see their schedule and their lives and their friends and their families and their relationships and their problems in the world, and you'll be able to engage with that systemically. Maybe someone's relative is being you know held wrongly in a cell somewhere, or maybe they're in debt to the crime family, and then you can go you know help that person out with one of their problems, and that'll make them like you a little bit more. Now you can keep recruiting by just working systemically to towards getting them onto your team, but once you've helped them once, then they're gonna offer you uh, to reach out, they're gonna offer to talk to DedSec, and then you'll have a chance to engage with a more authored mission. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of authored missions that have been made. The number's not important, what's important is that the, while the missions are authored, but they're still dynamically able to be recast in different locations. So, and on top of that, because we've recorded the script so many times with so many different, you know, narrative personas, so many different actors, uh, when you talk to a person about their friend or relative who's being held by some bad guy somewhere and you need to get the evidence of where they are and then go and rescue them, that can that always mixes up every time you play it and the and the people talking about it and their who their relations are and what their reasoning is and why they care about it can be different depending on who gets cast into the into it so there's a lot of dynamism even if you see the same mission uh, multiple times you you're very not like you're not very likely to recognize it because of the different personalities involved in what their motivations are and the fact that it's cast into different locations okay and then you guys have like an introduction of uh, permadeath in the game as well right. where so they during the presentation they talked about like if your health bar goes all the way down and you're down do you have the choice to give up where you can be captured yeah. or that you can fight back yeah and when you fight back you have one more health bar for that encounter or period you have one, well you have one more health bar for that encounter okay. anytime you're playing the game you know your health doesn't regenerate you take let's say you take your let's say you're at full health and you take 20 points of damage only 15 of that health actually regenerates back mm -hmm. and then you take you know so say you take 50 points of damage only 40 of it regenerates back so the more you play a character the more their max health is burning down a little bit and characters have to rest mm -hmm. in order to recover if you switch back to a wounded character they're still going to be wounded so if you go down get back up you'll get that bar that if you lose it you'll be dead you escape you switch back to that if you switch back to that character right away, he's going to be right on the edge of that bar again. If you let him rest and heal to full, then he'll be back at full again. And you can switch. Can you switch characters like in the middle of an encounter? You can't switch characters while while you're essentially while you're in combat okay. or while you're in an enemy location. You or can't use it. You can't use it to get out of jail or to escape okay. a felony. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, I noticed, like, I guess briefly, maybe on the trailer, I saw, like, a level system for each character. Yeah. Like, are you going to be, like, is, is, the, is there a concern of somebody getting too attached to a character and they're up to, like, level 18 and then that character dies and now they, their next character is, like, a level 4 and they kind of have to, like, go back? So uh, there's 15 levels. Oh, okay. So they only they can only get to level 15. That's the level cap. So you, you get really in. High. You, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, there's uh, you get a new perk at levels 5, 10, and 15. So that's okay. sort of the major character progression. They get still get more powerful at every increment up that path, and then 
DedSec also has a, what's called a resistance level. It's sort of their their popularity amongst mm-hmm. the population, and that goes up as ex- just like in a, another kind of experience right. over the course of the game. And as your re- resistance level goes up, the the minimum level of operatives on your team goes up. So let's say I've got a guy at I mean, let's say most of my team is like a bunch of level six, seven, eight, nine, and I take one of my level nines out, and he dies. Um, and then I have to I recruit someone else, or I have another guy. Um, maybe I recruit someone else. They don't come in at level nine, but maybe they come in at level six or level seven. And so the versus earlier in the game, they come in at level one or two. Right, exactly. Okay. And then at the end of the game, when you're maxed out, they're coming in at level ten or something like that. So you just immediately can put two perks on them, and then sure you've lost a bit of progress. And, and then my my last question is like the, you guys still. I just want to make sure everybody's aware because they they emphasize it in the theater presentation. Like it's still about the watchdog franchise the dead sex story like absolutely the it's dead not se- about the characters i mean it is but they're in the, the characters integration into the story but the story is there yeah yeah for yeah. sure there's absolutely a story there's there's five main quest lines you know about the different themes of the game you know one of them's about the military corporations the surveillance uh, state and the intelligence organization the whistleblower that you might have seen in there um but yeah one of those major quest lines is about dead sec and their evolution as a team and how they finally come together and all of that stuff and bit of a mystery about what happened to the dead sec who came before us and where did they go and it's sort of uh, that in my opinion I guess it's a bit subjective what the main <laughs> quest line is sometimes in my in my opinion that's the that's the main one though awesome. all right and watchdogs coming out March 6th March 20th. 20th no March 6th March 6th 20 March 6th 2020 yeah all right thank you so much yeah thanks for